and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Before we get into our guest today, I just want to give you guys a heads up. Apologies for the audio on this one. We had a hiccup, but the chat was so good, I didn't know if we'd be able to replicate the conversation if we re-recorded it. So what it means for you is the first one to three minutes may sound quite harsh, but hopefully after that you won't even notice. But on that note, I am so pleased to introduce you to Grace Hamilton. I left this conversation feeling inspired and confident to go out and live life, be amongst people that you care about and work hard on whatever you are passionate about. Grace grew up in a little town outside of Orange, New South Wales, and she was your typical teenager. She loves socializing, playing a range of sports, and unlike many of our athletes that we interview, she did not play her first game of rugby until university, which is absolutely mind-blowing, right? She has since gone on to not only play for Australia, she is currently the captain of the Wallaroos and the Waratahs, and she received the Australian Player of the Year and People's Choice Award in 2019. This conversation covers so many aspects of being a professional athlete, as well as being a daughter and a sister. We have a big conversation around women in sport. We talk about what it was like for Grace losing her dad. And we also touch on some strategies that Grace uses for herself and for her team when things don't go to plan. There's just so many take-home messages from this conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So I'm super excited to have Grace Hamilton on the podcast with us today. So welcome, Grace. Hi, thanks for having me. And Grace, I really love to start the opening question in this podcast around what animal would you use to describe yourself and what is it about that animal in particular? (laughs) I actually had some difficulty with this and I asked a few people. my mum was like, oh, you're like a tough farm cat because, like, you work really hard but you also have, like, nine lives. <laughs> um, but then a lot of other people have been like, no, you're a dolphin because you're really playful but then you're really smart and you can, like, you, you can do things yeah. as well. So I don't really know how – I'm obviously from a farm so maybe I'd go with the farm cat but I'm happy to be a dolphin too. I love that you're, like, choosing between a farm cat and a dolphin. It's like – Opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) When you first started, I was thinking like farm cat or tiger, you know? Yeah, (laughs) I know. Like my nephew was like a baby tiger. I was like, well, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And also farm cats, they're pretty, like they are super tough though. Like they get through everything, right? I know. I think it's more we had a cat called Gary, my beloved cat, and he lasted forever and just really thought he was a dog, I think, and one of the farm <laughs> animals. So it was always at the yards and then, yeah, look, would go feed himself, would just, you know, trot around the farm like he owned it. So it was really funny to see. And when you think about the nine lives, are there certain things that have happened? I know my daughter, we tell her that she's a cat because she's got nine lives and that's because I found her face-to-face with a snake three times 
and she walks away. Like then we thought she got bitten by a snake and they were like, oh, we don't know, but let's keep her in hospital. I'm like, that kid has nine lives. Like are there things that have happened for you to think that you've got those nine lives? Yeah, I think probably, I I know I got like sick, my brother's medication I ate when I was little, which was not good, Um, a whole packet of it. And obviously me liking to eat, I've gone into mum and been like yucky lollies mummy and thrown them at her. Oh, my um, God. Did you have to have your stomach pumped or anything? Well, luckily, mum was um, – she teaches nursing and she had some of the stuff that they give you out on the farm. So she – just by luck, by chance, she had it and just – yeah. Anyway, wow. I had to go in after that and then the doctors were like, she's fine. She's just eating it. <laughs> oh, that would be like the worst nightmare yeah. as a mum, you know, because – just things can happen so quickly from that moment and just I know. how lucky to have that there. I know. Mum had a pretty tough year. All three of us um, had pretty near-death experiences, so she's done well. <laughs> she's probably glad to see you growing up as an adult, but I don't think you ever stop worrying as a I mom. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she definitely would. <laughs> and the other question I love to ask is your favourite place growing up. So some people talk about a room, some people talk about a property or a location. Do you have somewhere that you think about? Yeah, I think it's um, obviously back on our family farm, the top of the hill is we always used to go up there on the weekends and have like a family drink on top of the hill and watch the sunset. So it's probably like we always call it, dad would always say, oh, it's God's God's country is the best view in Australia. And I think that's something that's carried on forever. Like we've always just been like the best view in Australia and it, and it is, and I love it. And I literally think about it all the time being in Sydney. Just wish I could be back out there. You still have the farm? Yeah, my brothers are out on the farm at the moment and then, yeah. So hopefully it stays in the family, but, yeah, it's our favourite places forever. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's, it's especially being in the city, it's the noise and the distractions and the constant hustle and bustle, don't you reckon? Like it's just when you go out on the land and when you're from the land, it's just that silence and nature and just nothing, nothing needs to be done. Like you can just be there and be present and be mindful. Yeah, it is. It's like you, you go, 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 and then as soon as you get there, you relax. I always think that because I always get so tired when I go out there. And mum's like, because you're finally relaxing and, like, you're out yes. here and you're relaxing. But, yeah, it's it's unreal. I love the farm and I love getting back there. And I asked you before we um, went live on the podcast, I can never say the name of the place that you're from. And it's really interesting <laughs> because I grew up, like, must have been, what, 30, 30 Ks away and I've never heard of it. What's the yeah. name of the place? Panuara, yeah, from a little town uh, just out of Orange called Panuara. So we're yeah, we're about fifty k's out of town, which is yeah, it's a good little place, but a dead end road, so not a lot of people go there. Yeah, and how big's the place? A uh, thousand acres, so it's just a small little property outside of Orange. For some people, that would be huge, though. A thousand acres. <laughs> <laughs> and do you run sheep or cattle or crop or? Uh, Dad used to do a bit of both, but now it's just yeah, predominantly sheep. Uh, we just run sheep out there, so it's good. Yeah. And so let's let's start talking about rugby. I, I would really like to have a look at the landscape of women rugby before we get into your story because I think it seems to be getting some more momentum. But I know when I talk to people and ask them about women's rugby, they're like, oh, I don't really know. I get a little bit confused. So I thought let's just start with a bigger picture of what is happening in women's rugby at the moment in Australia and internationally and then we might hone in on your story if that's okay. Yeah, I think for women's rugby right now, it's probably in the, one of the toughest positions in sport and women's sport in Australia. We probably don't have the supporting, like the financial backing at the moment that we wish we had. Uh, but it is. They're like women's rugby, since the girls won the gold medal at the at Olympics, Rio. women's rugby, yeah, but they're like 
participation rates in girls playing and women playing has just skyrocketed. And a sevens um, obviously has transitioned into 15s game. And, and that's what I'm heavily involved in. It is, is there's avenues now, like there's not when I grew up there, we couldn't play rugby at school, whereas girls are actually playing rugby at school, which is awesome to see. Um, my old school in Orange has just started rugby seven. So yeah, I'm really stoked about that and that development. And I'm sure I'll get out there at some point, but yeah, we are amateurs at the moment. So everyone has a full-time job whilst um, training outside of the work hours and then trying to yeah, drive the national level as well. Um, our Wallaroos team hasn't, like an Australian team, hasn't played a game since 2019 due to COVID. So it's, yeah, we've, we've watched a lot of games happen around the world, but unfortunately we haven't had that backing and, and we haven't got those test matches. But this year is a World Cup year. So, yeah, we're looking to build on that and, and hopefully play some games this year. Yeah. It's, you know, if we just even take a moment and pause and listen to that, you guys, did you say you haven't taken had a game since 2019? Yeah, as a national team, we haven't actually played. Yeah, it came since 2019, which is wild to think about now. I know. Uh, yeah, it, it is actually crazy. And, and obviously, like trying to motivate everyone through that time is a little bit hard. How did you stay motivated and, and keep the team motivated during that time? Yeah, it was really hard. And I think especially as like a in a leadership position, it's been, it's been a bit difficult uh, because obviously you go through the motivation waves of like, yeah, I'm stoked, I'm working really hard to then – you just you don't have an end goal because everything was up in the air and, and a COVID's brought so much unknown to like our world right now that you're holding your breath all the time. So for us, it was about trying to just stay connected. And you know what? If you were not motivated one week, that's okay. And and to be a little bit sympathetic to those around us because it has been a tough grind. And I know a lot of people right now um, are still like, gosh, I just feel like I've been training for so long. And and as I've said that, I'm. I'm getting older and I think that's it's it's harder like you just like I've literally trained for two years for for no game and and I'm kind of the person that's probably not just a trainer I, I train to play rather than play the train like yeah. there's a lot of girls that are really good at training um I really like playing so for me to not have that it's been really tough but yeah trying to instill that motivation on others also has been tough but there's a really good group of women around around this country that have been like pushing each other which has been good. That's incredible. I just, I didn't realize it had been two years. That's a huge time to be pushing it uphill, especially like you said, if you're someone that wants to play the game, not having that competition, not having that, you know, working towards something and then having that downtime and then going again. Yeah. Yeah. It has been hard. Um, We've been lucky. Like obviously we've got our super rugby seasons in, which keeps motivation there and we've just started one. So yeah, hopefully we'll get through that. Um, COVID doesn't interrupt that again, but we, yeah, we'll keep grinding away and, and it'll be a big year of footy this year. That's what I was going to ask about. What is What does this year look like game-wise? Yeah, so huge actually. So we've got uh, Super Rugby at the moment, which is all the states involved. That'll finish in seven weeks just after Easter, I'm sure. And then we move into a test match period against Japan and Fiji in May have a break and then pack four against USA, Canada and New Zealand, a few more games against New Zealand, and then we lead into a World Cup in November. So it's a, it's a huge year of footy. There'll be so many games this year, and hopefully as an Australian team we can really come together because that's the hardest thing for us, I think, as a, as a national team. We obviously need to perform to get that exposure and, and get that support, but that girls are away in different states and we haven't actually played a game. It's really hard to get combinations correct and, and get things going when we're all separated. So just more time together is going to be essential. 
Yeah, I'm super excited to see how this year unfolds. Listening to you, my question that comes up is around how do you fit in work? Like just when you gave me that, I'm like, wow, there's so much coming up this year. But you work full-time, right, at Scots College? Yeah, I work full-time and I'm grateful. They're so supportive of me playing rugby. But there is girls and we all work full-time and and it's tough. It can be tough because you're obviously training before work hours, so before 8 o'clock and then training I'm at training from five o'clock till about nine o'clock every night. So you miss out on part of your life. And especially, I don't know, I feel like there's some times I feel bad, like you're missing family events. You you don't get to hang out with your friends outside of rugby. So we're, I'm really lucky that my New South Wales group and the girls that I train with are probably some of my best friends because we spend literally our lives together. But there is like things that I've missed out on. Like professionally, I'm probably not where I wanted to be in that regard and then like your life your relationships in life and like you're putting them kind of on hold for rugby and we're lucky that we love it but yeah definitely need to play some games to make that all worthwhile and that's probably been the toughest thing over the last few years just like thinking about what you really want but now that we've got rugby back I know everyone's excited when you've got those games it gives you purpose and relevance you know it's like we this is why we're doing what we're doing but when there's no games I can imagine it feels a little like oh we're just you know we're in a forest and we can't see our way out at the moment because there's absolute, yeah. like what are we training for yeah it was definitely just felt like a big slog and I felt so bad for coaching staff and, and things like that because obviously they're in exactly the same boat for us and they're just trying to help us push through but yeah there, there comes time for all of us we were just like what are we doing and what for and we just had to get through that. And, and now that there's rugby back on, everyone's very excited. So hopefully we can just, yeah, enjoy it for what it is right now. Did you have any particular strategies you used to help you get through that? Like when we're talking about mindset and that what for, were you working with psychologists? Did you have certain strategies or certain mantras that you use? Like how did you personally get through that? Personally, I, I know that I have to, if I want to get things done, I have to be really routine. Uh, and I think that's something lockdowns, probably wasn't the best for us because we're so used to being like on a timeline. So you're waking up, you're going to the gym, then you're going to getting changed, showering, you're going to work, you work. And then from work, you drive to training. Like, so yeah, it was about putting a routine into your daily life without those formal sessions. So for me, it was like ensuring that at this time I'd work, this time I would go to the gym, this time I would do conditioning sessions in the park and, and having that, and then my hardest thing is I'm very hard on myself if I don't tick those boxes. I learned over the last few years, like, if you don't tick those boxes, it's it's okay. I'm really bad like that um, mentally. If I don't exercise or I don't tick that boxes, I'm pretty hard on myself. So, yeah, it's about working through that. I've definitely worked with some counsellors and sports counsellors over the years. But, yeah, I think that's, that's something that women's rugby and women's sport, I think, also neglect a little bit. Like, we need that resource readily available yes. and that's something that I've benefited from and I and I know girls would. Yes. So I think that's something that I don't know if you need to push it on people but it's definitely a conversation you need to have because everyone shies away from it because they're kind of embarrassed. I think a lot of it's been people end up going in in a reactive state or, or after the event. So I think potentially if we can start having the conversations early on and it's like how do we start putting resources in place now before it even happens so that when it does happen you do have the strategies and the tools as opposed to being reactive. Yeah, and I think that's that's the hardest thing like – it just needs to be talked about so it's not shied away from. So, like, there's open conversations you can have a team. It brings people closer to, and I've seen that. We've had these conversations within our team, and it brings us so much closer 
when people are vulnerable with each other yeah. rather than, and then shying away from that. And, and that's something that I, yeah, I think needs to be developed and needs to be instilled more in team environments, especially in women, because we we're different to men. We learn different ways. We're more emotional. And yeah, I think it's something we can definitely tap into for the future to ensure it's like a really good environment for all girls. Mm. And thinking about your work and your sport, when you said that it sounds like you wake up, you train, you go to work, you come home, you train. Is that how it is for the men in rugby as well? Or do they get to just focus in on their training and they don't have to work? Like, is there a big difference between the men and the women at the moment? Yeah, so that's we're completely literally we we want to be treated like professionals and we're expected to train as professionals, but we're not paid as professionals. Boys are professional athletes and that's their job. So yeah, they train during the day, they have their nights off, they have a day off every week. Yeah, I know it's it's tough for them too. Obviously, that's their job, but yeah, it's completely different. We're such an amateur stage compared to the men's game at the moment. So what needs to happen in that space? I think we've just got to we've got to have the availability to play more games, which mm-hmm. then gains exposure and gains support and be successful in that. And then without someone standing up from the top level and being like, okay, this is what we're going to invest in, in resources and the women's game, it's not going to change. So that's just something that needs to happen. And I think this year it was like a tough pill to swallow. At New South Wales Rugby, we've been a really successful team over the last five years. And we haven't necessarily got the support. Other codes and other teams, we're losing girls for a few thousand dollars to other codes. And and for me, that's something that can be changed. And I don't think we've really implemented the support around the game properly at a commercial level and at a like a as a foundation. So for us, we went out this year and we were like, my coach and myself just had a conversation and we're like, we need to get some support around the women's game. And we're like, all right, let's have a fundraising lunch. So we had a fundraising lunch. Girls sold raffle tickets. We've asked for sponsors and, and it's really come off our own back. We haven't necessarily got a sponsor from the people who are working in the in the team. It's more of us girls going out there and being like, hey, can you support us? And we're lucky enough we've got some support now around our team, but it's not where we wanted to be. And, and, it, and it's also like, it takes for me, I'm like, I wish I could just focus on the game. Yes. But right now, I want this game to change and I want women's rugby to be supported in the future. And if this is the stepping stone that we have to get through, we'll do it. So, yeah. It's crazy listening to. I'm just like jaw dropped just thinking, my God, to think that that level you're still fundraising like we see our local clubs do blows my mind. I'm I'm also wondering about it will be interesting to see there's a lot of conversations around athletes and creating a career or a passion or something else outside of sport so that when the sport ends up, they retire or for whatever reason, they stop the game, that they've got something to go on with that gives them joy and contentment and feels like they have passion in life outside the game. It will be interesting to see because it sounds like all of the girls on your team have had to already find something. Yeah. And I think that's probably the benefit of Mm. it. I don't know if I could personally, because I'm I really like learning and I'm pretty professionally driven as well. So for me, I like having a job and like having that outside of rugby life. It's really important to me. But yeah, I think that's the benefit of it. Girls are literally playing rugby because they love it. Yes. But at the back of it, they have a job, they have their career, they have their university degrees because we, we've had to do that. So they, they will fall back on and still have their normal life when they retire. And it's probably their identity is not just in rugby. And yes. I think that's what you see in the men's game sometimes. Their identity is that is rugby and they rugby. get to a certain – yeah, and they don't have anything else. So, And I know the men's space have been working on that too. So it's awesome to see 
them getting that, uh, doing their uni and getting some like work experience around that because it is important for them to have something to fall back on. And I, and also I'm thinking when you talk about the women, it's also going to be important and I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but to make sure that you get that downtime as well, because if you are working and you are playing sport, they will have different peaks. So when you're down during your sporting season, you might be peaking in your professional. And so when do you get that downtime, that rest, that recovery space? Is that something that you factor in or is that you just, at the moment, you're just going from day to day and. Yeah, look, it's not something we factor in. I don't, it's hard for us. I think like there hasn't, me especially, I feel like there hasn't been a stop. There hasn't been an off season uh, as much as people are like, oh, this is the couple of weeks you can have off. You're either working or you're doing mm. something else that you've missed because you've been playing rugby. So it doesn't really feel like we've had an off-season in about four years, but you just keep on going. I don't know. I think you just get used to it. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm just used to keep on going and the cogs just keep on turning. And as long as you can manage it, I think it's okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that might be where having those extra supports that we were talking about a bit earlier can come into play so that if you do start to feel a slide as an athlete, then there's someone there that can help have those conversations and help get you to where you need to be in that moment. Yeah, and I think that is. Like there's resources and support that off the field uh, is something that's not readily available for women at the moment and, and it's something that I know I would love personally from the game to give that to us. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an avenue definitely we need to tap into. Mm. And in this podcast, we talk to our guests about a challenge that's changed them. And I can only imagine how many challenges there has been along the way. Is there a challenge that comes to mind when I say that to you that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, probably my dad got diagnosed with melanoma and brain cancer in 2018, 2019. And, and for me, that was, he was like my identity in rugby. He was this kind of the driving force around me playing. So for me to obviously get through that um, and play in that time. And then also since he, he passed away a couple of years ago now, I haven't actually played a game. So I'm still, I still have that like angst. I haven't played a game for Australia since he passed away. So yeah, I'm I'm a bit nervous still. I can't believe it's been, it's going to be nearly, hopefully if I get selected this year, it's going to be over, yeah, two years. And I don't really know how I feel about it still to this day. So rugby was when he was sick, uh, a really good thing for me because I go to training, forget about it. But yeah, since, since he's passed away, I haven't played. So I'm a bit nervous about it still. That will be a big emotional day when you take the field with, you know, being the first game back on. Yeah, he probably was the driving force. Him, my brother, I, I grew up watching Harry play and, and dad. He was resting, he was coaching, he was playing. Rugby was on the TV, everything in our life, to mum's dismay. She got very upset that everything was revolved around rugby. And then when I started playing, she was like, no. No, one more <laughs> Did you always know that you wanted to play rugby? Like when listening to you, it's, it was obviously around in your world. Was that something when you grew up through school you wanted to play or was that? Was that something that happened later on? Yeah, definitely later on. I was like the fangirl of rugby. <laughs> I'd be like at the fan days getting the signatures off the men's team and knew the rules probably when I was a toddler because of much, how much rugby we'd watched. But, yeah, I was definitely just a cheerleader. Uh, I played netball. I played hockey. I did every sport under the sun but ne- never thought I would play rugby. I didn't get into rugby until I was in university. 
That's insane, isn't it? When you think about that, when you were talking about that fangirl, my dad was president of rugby and we often had contact. Like I always think about George Gregan and Matty Burke and I often got little like signatures or they'd send a message and I would just like totally fangirl over that. I'd be like, oh, my dad's in rugby and look at this and they're amazing. And yeah, it sounds really similar when you were growing up to having that, being around it and just being part of your world, but just not necessarily something you thought you would do. Yeah, like I think about it now. I'm on panels with Maddie Burke and Phil Moore and Lottie DeKiri and I see them. And Lottie was like my favorite player when I was a kid. I yeah. invited them to my birthday party. I got their signatures. Like it's it's a really funny thing to think about that I'm like involved in their world now. But uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And, and probably for me, not playing rugby at such a young age has been great for me because it's obviously been a – in a later in life avenue and, it, and it's really made it, I'm really grateful for it. And you mentioned that your dad had cancer. It sounds like that happened really quickly. Did you say he got diagnosed in 2018 and then he passed away in 2019? Yeah. So mum, oh, this is the worst story. My poor mother, her brother who lives in England got diagnosed with cancer and she'd gone over to the UK to see him. And then she got off the plane and my dad had been working in Western Australia and he had like a, he had a weakness in his left side and he went to the doctor and mum had just got off the plane from the UK from seeing her brother and dad that day got diagnosed with cancer and had brain tumours. So he got flown to Sydney. So mum really went from one to another, which is just so, I like, it breaks my heart for her because she's such a strong woman. But yeah, it, and it was just like shocking for us. Like for me, you, I don't know, you never think that's going to happen to you. You always hear those stories, but you never thought it was going to happen. And, and dad was probably the only person that, genuinely supported me in a way that I felt safe and he was the only person that I kind of still to this day I like just miss so much because he's the only person I trusted probably the only man in my life that I trusted his opinion and and kind of gained so much momentum off like his words and that and that's probably been the trickiest part now like he got diagnosed and that last year that we had with him was probably the best year of my life because like and it's the weirdest thing to say but it was just like a time where we spent so much time together as a family because obviously we're a pretty tight knit family. And yeah, we just spent so much time together. I was either in orange or up here at Sydney because he was in hospital and we'd just get an Airbnb and stay together. And, and we always had three things. My sister was pregnant and we always said, dad, you've got to stay around for, for Annie now for Lisa to have her baby. How my brother just got engaged and, and they rushed their wedding, which is beautiful. So I was like, you got to stay around for that. And then he had to stay around. He got told that I was going to be the captain of Australia for rugby. And I was like, you have to stay around for my test matches in that year. And and that's, it was just the most special year because I don't know if you have a goal for someone, especially when they're sick, it was just like, it kept him alive. And even though I know he was battling, he was present and he was there and he was just so excited by all of that. And, and it kind of got him through and, I think just all that family time like made me so grateful and just such good memories in that last year. Oh, you know, I talking about something like that is it's I do have tears in my eyes, but also it's so nice to hear that because the cancer world is something that a lot of people aren't aware of until they're in it, right? And then there's this whole world of like, whoa, where have I been living for the last few years? But often when people do get a diagnosis and they get a time frame around that, it's really hard to know how to feel or what to do in that space. And to hear that you guys all bunkered down as a family and had beautiful memories in that last year, I mean, it could have looked very different. 
Yeah, they well, they originally told us it was going to be like three months. So for us to have that long together um, was so good. And and I'm really grateful. My my work colleagues and my work life, like they were so supportive of me wanting to spend time with my family and, and what I wanted to achieve in that year too. So for us, it was just about sticking together and trying to get him through that. And, and I did, like you always have that hope that he's going to be okay and, I think that was the hardest thing, like, still to this day. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to ring him. Like, I jump in the car every day and I'm like, oh, I'll just call dad. And I'm like, far out, I can't call dad. So, yeah, still to this day, I'm pro- we probably battle a little bit around it. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm really grateful for those memories. I mean, it probably feels like yesterday, right? Like, grieving, just it, it takes a really long time. And I think, you know, sometimes you don't know when that grief period is going to start to lighten up a little bit. Like, you never forget about them, but it's that – when it's really heavy on your heart every day, all day, just it's really hard just to get through everyday life. Yeah, it is. And I think that's the, probably the hardest thing. Initially, you don't really I, – and I, I still feel bad for, like, my friends that I've known that have lost people because initially when that's happening and they're sick and you lose them, you're always so there for that person and, and, and initially in those times. But I was probably the worst I was a year and a half later. and And that's probably – the most like I like feel bad for my friends that I haven't been there that year that 18 months after Mm. because that was probably hard and I'm probably still battling with that now it's just like it's probably when you realize the change is permanent and and how how you've got to fight the strategy to cope with it and because rugby for me was that coping mechanism through COVID I didn't have that outlet and I didn't have those games and so I think that's been my hardest thing like I didn't have a game to play or an outlet I just because you're stuck in lockdown and COVID and not training not playing not being with your friends and family and yeah I, I don't I don't know like I just genuinely that a year and a half later was probably the, my tipping point of being like okay this is real I've got to kind of start dealing with this and if I wanted to do it I went to through the the waves of do I want to play anymore do I have that enjoyment still because you, you don't have a – I didn't have a game in the future. So, yeah, it, it's been really tricky, but that's all right. It's actually incredible that you are still playing, to be honest, like listening to that and losing someone that's so special in your life, not only so close to you but also so involved in the game and then losing the game essentially. Yes, we – you know, you could still train, but you did. You didn't know if it was going to start again or when it was going to start again. So to have both of those things in that moment and still want to play speaks volumes about how much you love the sport. Yeah, I know. Gosh, love rugby. No, yeah, but it was probably, that was definitely the hardest. You're right. I did. I lost him and then I lost rugby as well. Probably my two biggest parts of my life. Mm. And yeah, it, it's been really difficult, but uh, yeah, I do want to play the game. It made him so happy. And, and if I can give back and make him proud still, I, I, I really want to do that. And he loved watching me play and he'd always be like, good on you, Gracie. He wouldn't give too much away, but he, he had his little messages. And so I just, I'm sure I have my little messages that he gave me before I play every game, whether it's a club game, a state level game or a national game. I always, yeah, kind of carry a part of him with me and and hope that I can make him proud still. And have you thought about something that you can do before your first game, like in memory of him? Yeah, I don't know. Like that's just the hardest thing. It's going to be a weird one for me. And I think one part of me is like, I don't think no, no one else is going to know that because obviously it's been so so far along, no one's going to know, be like, oh, this is the first game mm. you will play for Australia without your father. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. At the moment, I always, I'm a journaler. So before I play every game, it doesn't matter what sort of game it is, competitive or not. I will always write down what I want to achieve in that game and then kind of a little motivational message to myself because it allows me to be relaxed when I go out there and kind of have a clear picture of what I want to achieve. Mm. Um, So I've always done that. But since dad passed away, I always started writing a message. I wrote a message that on every little page on the bottom, I write a little message to him and then I like rip it off and then I stick it in my sports bra. I love so that. I know. I know. It's a bit weird. But no, it's not. It's like he's there with you, right? If that's the yeah. part because he has been there with you the whole way through and he will still be there. He just won't physically be there. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I like write a little message to him, fold it up, put it in my sports bra and run out on the field just before I run out of the field. So for me, that's probably my way of coping and being like, cool, he's still here. I've yeah. just got to go and do this. So, yeah, I think I'll just continue to do that. Obviously, it will be a really special moment. My family is unreal. They get around me every single game I play. So mum, my brother, my sister, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. And, yeah, it's just unreal. They're always there to support, and, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And if there's someone out there listening that's going through what similar to what you've been through, like they're playing sport at a level that it's it's – heavily involved in their life and they lost someone close to them do you have any advice for them like is there anything that you would say I would just say allow yourself to not have to think about it sometimes I think when you're in that situation you feel bad if that's not on the top of your mind but allow yourself to get in situations where you don't necessarily have to think about it and that's what rugby was for me like if you have to go for a run go for a run and listen to some great music or I'd go to rugby training and just be solely focused on rugby training. And and I think for me that outlet was really important and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, Just to have some time away from it. So it reminds me when my mum, my mum had cancer and a beautiful friend said to me, give it energy when you need energy. And I'm like, that is so true because sometimes it feels like you're just giving it energy all the time. And the the issue with that is that you can't actually be there when you need to be there. Yeah. And, And I think that's like, some people find it really odd because obviously like a lot of people have been like, I don't know how you do what you do and how you got through what you did because I just would turn around and play and be okay. And and I'm like, I'm definitely not okay deep inside, but I allow myself to be present in a different situation. And they're like, how do you compartmentalize that? And I was like, I just think it, that's just something my family is obviously good at and something that we, yeah, we can continue to do and and that was really important for me being able to put that to the side for a moment and challenge a new thing or do a sport or enjoy my friend's company or yeah just be present in that moment rather than what is happening in my life was really good for me and that would be a skill that you need all the time on the field I'd imagine like if you have a bad pass or you make a mistake like being able to refocus your mind and your mindset onto the task at hand yeah that definitely and it's something I've definitely learned as a leader within a team and I was, I was kind of brought into as a leadership group in quite a, quite a young age and quite young in the game and I've had to learn quickly over the years and that's something I'm still learning about. But whether you do something bad or something goes wrong or a structure didn't happen, you just be able to lift yourself back up and, and that's something I'm really lucky I'm able to do. Like I get motivation. Like if something if I do something wrong, I'm like, oh gosh, I've got to fix it and I, and I go out there and try and get it and that's, that belief I, I really just wanted to instill in other people. And, and that's probably something that I would pride myself on being able to allow people around me to believe in themselves and what they can achieve is really special to me. 
because I want them to see that belief I have in them. And I've always said, I said to some girls the other day, um, I spoke to my team. I was like, if something doesn't go wrong and you can see someone, because everyone learns differently and everyone reacts differently. If, if they've dropped a pass or they've missed a tackle and you can see them going down, focus on what they're good at. And, and mm. that's something. So I've been like, I know you're great at tackling. I want you to go and make the best two tackles in the next two phases you can, or like get them back in the game to regain their confidence. And that's something I've learned. And I think it definitely works. You regain their focus on something that they're great at and they're back in the game and they're back playing well, because obviously things are going to go wrong. Everyone does things that doesn't go right sometimes. And we've just got to be okay with that and be able to come back up rather than go down. And also when you say there, it's also the team coming on board that attitude as well. So it's not just up to the individual player to to reset their mindset there. It's also on the team to be like, hey, you're awesome at tackling. Let's just focus in on tackles for now. Yeah. And that's the thing. They're great teams. And I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by such great women in, in my teams. But yeah, they, my, especially my New South Wales team, everyone is like fully focused on making each other better and and that's the best teams you can be a part of they want each other to succeed and and like we always say like I want you to be proud of my effort and so not necessarily you be proud of yourself you want your teammate to be like tap you on the back and be like awesome you played awesome like you just never stop and and I think that's something that we really want to achieve we want each other to be proud of it for us that's beautiful and it creates such a beautiful community and culture within the playing yeah, it does. How much of it is mindset and how much of it is physical when you're out there in the game? <laughs> I am a full believer of mind over matter. I, I always say this, like for me, like we get obviously in like professional teams or elite teams, you get fitness tested, you get gym tested, you get everything like that. But uh, and, and for me personally, I'm not going to win your fitness test. I'm not going to win your gym test. But I will 100% give you my all when I'm out there and I have such a competitive mindset, I think, um, that I want to succeed that I, will never, I won't ever stop. And I think I wish I was more consistent with the kind of off-field testing as I was on the field. Like, and I, I wish I was an athlete like that, that just was great at both. But, yeah, I'm not necessarily like that. I think it's definitely a mindset. Someone always said to me, if, we're going around and you're in the team and you want to make that tackle. You will make that tackle. You've just got to be motivated to do it. If you're not the fittest, the fastest, the strongest, if you still have, you want to do it, you actually will achieve that. And I think that's something that I've kind of instilled in my whole life. I've always kind of been like, I want to get better at this and I want to get better at everything I do. And, and that's something I love. I love learning and love getting better at things. So yeah, I'm definitely a mind over matter person. Yeah, same, same, absolutely. And I often think what is it makes two athletes that are both physically almost the same and one goes and thrives and one doesn't? And I think mindset can often be the difference there. And things that you've spoken about, how do you pick yourself up when you make a mistake? How do you work with your team players and get them back on the rails when they fall off? How do you, you know, go through those tough days or COVID or losing someone you love? Like all of that comes back to your mindset and and the support that you have as well, not just your mindset, but other people around you and helping lift you up. Yeah, it, it's definitely a mindset thing for me. And if we can help that in any way, we started we started a couple of years ago in one of our teams. Obviously, we've just come from work and it can be hectic. Like you've had a stressful day at work, you come into rugby training and that can carry on if you don't kind of vent about it. So we have this expression circle that we <laughs> we talk about our days before we start training and we're like, oh, has anyone had a good day, a bad day? I don't know, a girl the other day delivered her sister's baby in the 
front seat of her car the other day. What? Like, I know. It's like wild to think about. Or if someone's just like, I've had a really bad day. I just can't wait to be here and train because I need, I need to release and get yeah. over today. Like it allows that opportunity for people to just have that little vent before we start something new because you don't want the day's occurrences to affect the training. And, and I think that's, it's a good thing for us. It allows us to re, regroup and resettle and refocus. Which is I good. love that. I love that. And I want to know what other habits you guys have like that because <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I think every team could implement that, right? Like that, yeah. you know, we're moving with transitioning between one space to another. How do we get really focused and present in this moment? Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. What other kind of little habits have you got? For me personally, I used to start like this training journal or this day-to-day calendar and I like a gold star chart, which is so weird to think about, like going back to like kindergarten when you used to get a gold star. There was one time, uh, like a time in my life. So in 2016, I actually wasn't selected to go on the tour or be selected in the Australian camp out of 63 people. So for anyone that knows, that's quite a lot of people to not be selected out of. And I knew that the girls are away on camp and I was like, oh, I want to be there. And, And I was Personally, I probably wasn't playing the best rugby I had. I was in a bad mindset. I didn't like my job. I was just overly stressed. Like, yeah, it was just a really bad time in my life. So in the one day I lost my job, like quit my job and I didn't get selected in the Australian squad. So it was kind of like everything just caved into one um, oh on God. this one day. Did you day. quit your yeah. job before you found out about selection or after? Yeah, and, uh, the same time. No anyway. way. It was just like the weirdest day for me because I was leaving my job and then I didn't get selected for Australia. And, and yeah, it was obviously upsetting and I am not embarrassed to say that I was devastated, but yeah. at the same time it was like this crossroad. It was like I either work hard and achieve this or I just, you know, I can just play for fun and enjoy it and not, not get to like, I just wanted to push myself as far as I can. And I've just never been the person that's been okay with not pushing myself. Even if I fail, that's completely fine, but I really want to, be able to push myself to a certain level and so I was like no nah, I'm going to train so from then on I and it's still to this day I start these training calendars and it's like a gold star chart I remember just they were all at camp for two weeks in Queensland and I just remember being in Queens Park running conditioning sessions by myself and being like cool that's all right I'll just keep training because I know they're training as well and I was lucky enough before they went to New Zealand I trained against them and then one of my best friends, which is horrible to say, but one of my best friends got injured and they ended up taking me and I debuted two days later for Australia. So, wow. Yeah, which is just a wild thing to think about. But, um, yeah, it was the best experience ever. I debuted two days later and then the next week I started the first game for Australia. So My mind is blowing. Like <laughs> anything from just having faith that if you do the work that, you know, your time will come versus having that attitude of like I missed out but it's up to me what I do with this space, you know, yeah. thinking that you were there training and had they made the call and you hadn't been training, it could have looked very different. Yeah, and like I still think to this day I'm like I wasn't as fit as I should have been in my first test for Australia. But it made it made that opportunity and me playing for Australia 
so I was so grateful for it and I and never will take it for granted again because it can be taken away from you just like that mm. and I'm yeah I'm really grateful that my journey started like that because I've just always been like okay well I need to work this hard for this opportunity and and that's just something for me like regardless of how it happens you've just got to I'm kind of like I've grew up on a farm so like hard work is like everything that we were instilled like it was just instilled for us for a young age that we had to work hard for everything and and work together as a team as well. So for me, especially, it was like, yep, I need to work hard and and I will continue to work hard because when I got to represent Australia, it was the most special day in the world. And my whole family flew over from Australia because they didn't know it was going to happen either. And so I've given them a day to fly over from, from Australia to New Zealand and then I debuted the next day. So it was just like the most incredible journey, but something I'm really, really grateful for. Yeah, and the highs and lows in that week, like, wow, that's probably one of the lowest points in your career and one of your highest, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it was definitely one of the lowest. I was a bit upset at the time, but yeah, it just it allows you to refocus and I'm, it probably is what I needed. I needed that kick to be like, hey, yep, you can be sad for now. You have no job. <laughs> you have no rugby. <laughs> Everything's but, changed. <laughs> yeah, but it also was like, well, what are you going to do? You, you can either make things better because – I'm a firm believer of it's what you make it and every situation you can either make it really great or you can make it really bad. And, and I was, I'm going to make this a really good opportunity for me. And, and I kept pushing myself and, and I finally got there, which is really exciting. I hope everyone else is feeling as inspired as I am. I'm like, I'm going to get off this podcast and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that because it is, it's just, you're so authentic in the way that you say it as well. You know, like you really, you can tell it's coming from your heart and that you believe it and that you live it. And it's like, wow, just having that do the work, do it for your team as well. They're kind of the two things that I keep hearing come up. If you were to have some advice for your younger self, the girl at Kinross in year nine, no idea of what the future holds, what advice would you have for her? I don't know. So at school, I always say this to kids at school. Obviously, I work in a school environment. And I was like, I wasn't in the A team. I wasn't the best at this. This Like there was just moments in my school that I was just like, I, just want to, I was kind of a social person. I just want to have fun with my friends, but also like there was a little bit of sport that I was like, I was kind of overlooked because it was like I was the wrong shape or I was the wrong size. And and I think as a young kid, when you haven't grown or someone has grown, you kind of can get overlooked by that, by what you look like, you physically look like. And I hate that, but it, it is something that happens in our society. And I, and I definitely knew my ability could be – at the level of the others, but I was kind of overlooked because I was the wrong shape and wrong size. And probably that's why I fit rugby because they need someone in every size, which is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that was probably my younger self was probably just, and I don't know, like keep that fire in your belly and just try different things. Because even in my professional life, there was someone that said to me a few years ago, he was like, you go and work in different areas and try a thousand different things before you make up your mind what you want to do. And and I, I think that was for me. I'm really grateful for the time I had in netball and different sports because I just got that social enjoyment. And I was such a, a young age. I got to enjoy my youth and try a thousand different things before I settled on rugby and I really refocused into that regard. But if I, there's a social game of netball down the road, I am there. So Still yeah, even really now? Enjoy. Like are you allowed to play social sport? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. This uh, is live, play- remember? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have. I've actually played a few games of social netball and we played social touch footy the other day, like mixed touch. And it's just been, yeah, those things are important. Like I love getting back to that sporting arena where 
it's purely just for fun and no pressure as well, which is really great. Even though we're way too competitive and it becomes really serious, it's fine. What was your favourite sport at school? Probably netball. But like, yeah. I did I did weird sports. Like, I, mean, I was talking about one of my friends the other day and I did like diving in summer. Like I did rowing. I did like so many different sports. Yeah. So I just was about trying everything and giving it a real go. So yeah, probably to my younger self, just, Try everything and have a real crack. Don't go half. Yes. It, like definitely go all. Yeah. And just on that, just for the listeners, you didn't start until you went to uni, you said. You didn't start playing rugby at all. Like had you played a few games or you literally <laughs> had not played? Just because that's really no. inspiring as well, right? Like, Yeah, I literally had not played. So for me, obviously rugby family, rugby everything, but I went to university and they didn't know what netball was. Um, in America, because it was in America, they have no idea what netball is. So I was like, I was the only Australian in North Carolina at the time, like the Australian girl. So I was like, oh, how do I make friends? Like I know no one here. And <laughs> and I think for me, like sport has always been like how you make your friends and yes. it kind of sets you up. So for me, I was like, I need to play sport. I've played and I saw that they had a rugby team and I was like, oh, I'll just go play that mum to this, like that moment that I told mum, she was like, no, you're not playing that. Too much health insurance in America. Like you're not playing rugby. But now is like the number one supporter of the game ever. Wow. Like she is on Instagram. She comes to every wow. single game. Everyone's like, your mum is like the rugby mum, like loves it. And I think. I bet you wish you recorded that conversation that you had. <laughs> I know. I actually do. Cause she's like the biggest supporter now. And and I, and I also say this to like young girls. I was like, you've got to get their mums on board because literally mums always like, no, it's a contact sport. They're going to get hurt. I had more injury playing netball than I have had playing rugby. So that's a good comment. Actually, I have three girls and I'm yeah. not going to lie. There's a part of me that's like, oh, I don't want them to play rugby. And it's exactly <laughs> that. It's the injury and it's a misconception, I guess. Maybe we need a few yeah. more stats and a bit more education out there around, you know, the statistics of, young women being injured in netball and hockey and horse riding, mountain yeah. bike riding versus rugby. Like I think it would be very interesting to see those statistics. Yeah, I think it is. And obviously there's better coaching now and girls actually know what to do and they're learning the game. So it's like the the less injuries in the game, I think is, yeah, it's, it's rapidly decreasing. So I, I don't know, I've, that's just my stats. I've definitely had less injuries, which is unreal, but yeah, you got to get mums on board, I think, and then you, and then, then the game's gonna gonna grow further and further. Well, you might have got one mum on board today. <laughs> you might have got a few more out there that are listening. Um, and Grace, I wanted to ask you, what is one person or one thing in your life that truly makes you belly laugh? You know that like contagious kind of you get the giggle juice. I really enjoy probably being with friends that are not like not in a rugby sense. Like I said, it was my birthday the other day, and I was like. I just want to go out and wear pretty clothes and yes. not wear rugby kit and just be with my friends. And I think my school friends make me laugh so much. They're so funny. because uh, they're, they're from Orange, like, right? <laughs> yeah, they're from Orange. I don't know. Maybe it's the country in them. But my family also make me laugh so much as well. Like my mum is the most wild person. Like she always is just a ball of energy. She'll dance. She'll dance with me. Make dance routines. Still, still yeah. today. So like, she just makes me laugh so much. Um, and yeah, she's an unreal person. But I think all just my friends and my oh God. I'm gonna say everyone. I feel like everyone makes me laugh. But yeah. 
You definitely, you definitely have this whole like undercurrent that's about people. Like that's what I keep hearing, you know, you invest in people and you love the people in your life, your teammates, your family, your friends, like that really comes through just listening to you talk. Yeah, I definitely am really grateful. I think also like going through dad and thing, it put perspective in it, like what people mean to you and, and you, like there's always going to be people in your life that, that are obviously aren't in your corner or, or don't want the best for you, but I've been really grateful that the people in my life have been so supportive and that they have allowed me to grow. They've made me laugh. They've, they've pulled me up and, and down. Like one of my friends flew from England when my dad died. She's been one of our friends forever. She flew, flew from England just to come to his funeral. So for me, there's people like that, that, you know, like I wouldn't change for the world. The, I'm so grateful for them and I'm really grateful for the community and people I'm surrounded by like my colleagues I, I literally yeah you're right I love people I you love, love people I know I'm just listening to you going like it's like you're buzzing <laughs> off all the minute you start talking about someone in your world I, I know people can't see you but you get this huge smile on your face and your eyes light up and you're just like you just seem to love people yeah I do I, I they're the best like they're the best thing in this world other people so yeah yeah I, I really enjoy them and I wish I could repay every single person in my life <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. It is such an honor to have this conversation with you and just to, I feel so inspired and motivated. Like I'm just bouncing off the wall after this conversation and I'm really excited to see what happens this year for you in rugby and for the girls. And if there's one way that we can support you going forward, support women rugby, what is one thing we all could do? I think just get the word out there and like exposure is a massive thing. You've seen our world in social media, the exposure around the game. As soon as the uptake on the women's game gets bigger, there's obviously going to be avenues and and I think commercial value around the game as well. So when Um, you say that, can we break that down specifically to what we can do? Like what actual steps, when you say on social media, is it sharing it or is it like, is it coming and watching the games or telling our, like, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think like either coming to the games or sharing the girls' games, just when it's on, what's going to happen, like, like, and girls as well. Like there's a lot of girls that like positive stories that we can share. And and I Mm. wish that that, there was a bigger uptake on that. And hopefully that's something we can push this year, the stories and the wonderful stories around our game um, of how you manage daily life. There's girls in my team that have kids. So how like kids work, training, like it's, it's a really great thing to juggle. And then I think also like in the professional world, being able to give opportunities to these girls that they are like their leadership's in their own right. And they're such good workers. It's probably their life's been on hold because of rugby, but there's definitely avenues there that to get these girls involved. And where do people go to find out the information? You can go to Australian Rugby, Wallaroos Instagram, New South Wales Waratahs Instagram, all the other states have one, but yeah, it's probably just more on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, share us, support us, get around us, reach out to us because all the girls are so willing to get out there in the community and help anyone. So um, as much as we'll support you as much as uh, we can. All right. So everyone that's listening, I want you just to take a few moments right now, press pause, jump on and do that now. Jump on, hit follow, go in and have a look because it's taking that initial action step that can truly make a difference for women rugby in Australia. And let's get behind these girls and let's cheer them on for the next 12 months. Yay. Yay. Thank you. So excited. If you couldn't tell, I was so involved in that conversation. I sometimes even forgot we were recording. 
So make sure you jump on and follow the Instagram pages for women's rugby that Grace mentioned. And also if you get an opportunity to go to the games, that is how we can help support women in sport in Australia. If you think there's someone out there, your bestie, one of your family members or friends that would really benefit from listening to this conversation, jump on and share it with them now. And people have been asking me, how do they share the podcast? There's three little dots that when you click on that, it comes up with the word share. And then when you click on share, it will allow you to share it through email, text message, WhatsApp, so many options there. So that's the best way for you to pass these conversations on to those that you think could benefit from it. Otherwise, I will see you guys next week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. 